From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Good evening, friends. Welcome to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm. I'm sitting in for Tony today. So glad that you are with us. The website is TonyPerkins.com, where you can watch this and every episode of Washington Watch. Today on the program, a lot to get to. Are we about to make a bad agreement with Iran? We'll discuss that shortly. In addition, President Biden spent some time during his State of the Union address talking about the importance of helping children try to conceal their sex. Is it as harmless or even beneficial as he claims it is? We'll discuss that. In addition, the Freedom Convoy has been driving across the nation for more than a week and will reach the nation's capital tomorrow. What kind of reception will be, they be getting? And what are they still hoping to accomplish? We'll get an update from the road. Also, interesting results from the Texas Board of Education elections yesterday. What does it say about local elections to come this year? Finally, in our worldview segment, I'm going to ask David Clausen why he wrote this week that the term pro-choice pastor is an oxymoron. All that coming up in the program today. First, our headlines. Fears of a nuclear catastrophe worse than the 1986 Chernobyl disaster were raised overnight when Russia attacked a nuclear power station in southeastern Ukraine, the largest nuclear power plant in Europe and among the 10 largest in the world. The attack resulted in a fire that was later extinguished, and Russia now claims to control the nuclear power plant. Joining me now to talk about this and other breaking news on Russia's invasion of Ukraine is townhall.com's Rebecca Downs, who has been reporting on this story. Rebecca, welcome to Washington Watch. Hi, thanks so much for having me. We're glad to have you. Thanks for taking some time for us. Now, nuclear scientists have called the attack by the Russians last night astonishing and unprecedented. Why is that? Well, as we've mentioned, this could be worse than Chernobyl if uh, it goes poorly enough. We've had the um, Ukraine foreign minister has talked about that and made such warnings. Um, They've discussed that the energy levels could um, affect not just Ukraine, um, but the rest of Europe and and potentially the rest of the world with the ramifications we have here. What this may be signaling is that Vladimir Putin's barbarity knows no bounds. He is going through all kinds of, um, might be going through siege warfare. He might be um, targeting more than just military, but he's really going for nuclear power plants now um, and potentially as well to show that this is, he really means to control Ukraine. Can you help us understand, was there a strategic objective to getting this nuclear power plant or is it just essentially trying to get the assets of Ukraine? It's hard to say with Putin. Um, This would send perhaps the clearest message um, that he's not messing around that he has um, strong intentions. So if if it means anything, it it definitely means that. But fortunately, Zelensky, um, Vladimir Zelensky, the president there, has been speaking up about it and calling on um, the Russians to stop. Um, They're going to have more talks. He's also been calling. um, This is a man who who still tweets with everything that's going on 
um, regular updates that he's calling on the UN Security Council to um, call for closing the airspace. Well, and we're going to get to this a little later. Um, fate, you cannot, you can no longer communicate, see Facebook in Russia. So it's interesting to see the way social media globally is involved with this. But I want to ask you about something else here. Earlier today, NATO foreign ministers met to discuss Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Can you tell us what became of their meeting? So it doesn't look like, um, things are moving as quickly as, um, Zelensky would like. He is hopeful to be, um, uh, he's hopeful that Ukraine will be admitted into NATO, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen, um, just yet, if I, if I'm not mistaken. There's a lot of, um, these things take time, which is why he had been asking for weeks and months, begging NATO and the Biden administration and the United Nations to take action. And they're not taking action um, until, unfortunately, Putin had already invaded. But uh, there, it does look like there will be steps taken. Now, last question I have for you today. The Russian parliament passed a law on Friday punishing the spread of, quote, false information about Russia's armed forces with as much as 15 years in prison. Does this move surprise you at all? No, it's they've been really cracking down. You see the brave Ukrainian, uh, sorry, the brave Russian people taking to the streets um, in Moscow and around Russia and around the world, really, to speak out against this war. And, and Putin will not stand for for dissent. Um, so sadly, it's not a surprising move, but it, it makes the the anti-war uh, actions from the Russian people who are bravely speaking against about it all the more powerful because they have so much to risk now. I think that's exactly right. And, and for all of the uh, praying that we are doing for the Ukrainian people, one can't help but wonder if this is not ultimately going to come down to the Russian people to uh, to take control of this situation. Rebecca Downs, townhall.com. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Great to see you. Now, in response to last night's attack on the nuclear power station in Ukraine, the U.S. Embassy in Kiev tweeted Friday that Russia committed war crimes. And Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky warned of the danger that Russia's invasion poses not only to Ukraine, but to all of Europe. The Russian military must be stopped immediately. Shout to your politicians, Ukraine has 15 nuclear units. If there is an explosion, it is end of everything, the end of Europe. How concerned should we be? Joining us now to talk about it and more is Congressman Warren Davidson, who's a U.S. Army veteran and a member of the Republican Study Committee and the House Freedom Caucus. He represents Ohio's 8th Congressional District. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Uh, great to talk with you again. Thanks for having me today. Well, thank you for taking some time. Uh, the attack by the Russians of the Ukrainian power plant getting a lot of the attention today. Do you believe, as some clearly do, that Russia has committed a war crime? Look, not just with this attack, but, uh, you know, they're they're overtly attacking civilian population centers. And, you know, they're using or at least are alleged to be using weapons that uh, that, that do violate Geneva Conventions. And. 
and now, Vladimir Putin, but uh, the, some of his military leaders are are vulnerable to being charged uh, with as as war criminals. Now, you, a little bit of your answer cut out there, but yeah, it sounds like that you agree, and that's the direction that a lot of the international community seems to be heading with this. Can you tell us what would the significance be if the international community determined that Russia was committing war crime? Would that make it more likely that the rest of the world would get involved officially? I don't know if it really fundamentally makes the world more or less likely to get involved uh, in actual combat. I think the challenge is going to be, uh, you know, let's just say you say Vladimir Putin is a war criminal. Uh, the degree of difficulty, um, you know, rendering Vladimir Putin to the Hague is quite a lot, uh, pretty substantial compared to Slobodan Milosevic, for example. So, um, you know, never before as a leader of a great power, uh, you know, been charged as a war criminal, uh, at, at least since, uh, you know, World War II. Now, President Biden has asked for Congress to to allocate $10 billion in immediate aid for Ukraine and Eastern European partners. Do you think that's the right move? I don't know about the right number, and I don't know about the bill. I haven't seen the text on it. I, I am more worried about the language, um, you know, because, you know, we, we had a resolution, which is not an authorization. It's a resolution to show support. Uh, for the people of Ukraine, uh, and it could have just been that simple, uh, but they put language in it that's problematic. That if it, that, that in in this funding, uh, we have to be clear that this is not an authorization to go to war in Ukraine, uh, and and uh, we don't want uh, the executive branch to look for any possible hooks to decide of their own accord to be able to commit our country to war. Uh, Congress has that power, and Congress ought not give it away. Uh, unless it's very overt and uh, it is clearly the will of the people of the United States. And, you know, while everyone I know is uh, praying for the people of Ukraine and, uh, look, sees Vladimir Putin as the clear aggressor in an unjust uh, war and sees Ukraine and, uh, and, and you know, Zelensky as uh, rightfully engaged in self-defense and wish them success in it, uh, this is not America's war to fight, and uh, and I, I don't think Congress should be authorizing combat right now. I think a lot of America agrees with you on that point, as difficult as it is to watch this, but we are trying to figure out how to respond. The Biden administration unveiled additional sanctions yesterday, including visa restrictions on, Rus on Russian elites and their families. Tell us, what's the strategy behind rolling out these sanctions gradually rather than doing everything that you can immediately? Yeah, so look, uh, uh, I will give uh, kudos to the Biden administration for, A, they were accurate about the intelligence, and B, they made it public. So they did everything they could with the intelligence. The trouble is that they didn't react to it well themselves. Uh, so they waited until, until uh, Russia had already invaded Ukraine to go for enforcement mechanisms, to even say we're cutting off, uh, you know, Nord Stream 2 as a pipeline uh, after they've already invaded. And it's like, do you really feel like this is acceptable behavior for Russia to mass on the border and to do these menacing threats against their neighbors? Uh, and, and if you don't, then why aren't we starting to take action? Republicans tried to take action 
in, in December and were blocked by Democrats. And, uh, you know, there were calls to put sanctions on uh, on Russia all along since then to kick in cancellations on Nord Stream. And they were, you know, not accepted. There were lots of calls to get Germany to do something. And unfortunately, Germany waited until, uh, you know, Vladimir Putin had already invaded Ukraine uh, to, A, diminish their demand for Russian energy, and B, go public with their commitment to finally fully fund uh, their NATO treaty obligations for defense spending. So, uh, you know, I think there are a lot of other things down into the weeds that we could have uh, communicated with uh, with Zelensky and with Putin uh, in, in terms of NATO countries, NATO members, that really truly could have prevented this war. Um, in, in a way, that's great lessons for history. Right now, what do we do? I think we have to um, apply strong leverage like the Swiss sanctions. That was too slow in coming in. Um, and we target the oligarchs because Vladimir Putin didn't lay in awake worrying about the next election. He, to the extent he's accountable, he's accountable to the oligarchs. Congressman Warren Davidson, we've got about 30 seconds, but very quickly, indications that we might be coming to another agreement with Iran around nuclear arms. What's your reaction to that? Uh, just dismay. Uh, this administration, if they could find one worse partner than Russia to buy energy from, it's Iran. So what a horrible idea. Uh, bad, bad policy by Biden. Congressman Warren Davidson, thank you so much for your vigilance and thank you for spending some time with us today. Greatly appreciate it. You as well. Thank you. God bless America. Coming up, President Biden claims he has the backs of young Americans who identify as transgender. But is he helping or hurting? We'll talk about it when we come. Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, We'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview, the Center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the Church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why Scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers who advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square. The experts at the Center address and provide resources on issues like religious liberty, abortion, voting, marriage, and sexuality. To access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series, go to frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including blogs, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org slash subscriptions.
At Family Research Council, it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we've created a tech subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm. I'm sitting in for Tony today. We'll be back with you on Monday. Well, this week, President Biden gave his first State of the Union address. The speech was delivered at a time of tremendous peril, not just for Americans, but for Ukrainians and its neighboring nations, because of an unprovoked Russian invasion that has the potential of sparking a literal World War III. Let's not forget about all the other crises America is facing, the southern border, the rise in violent crime and inflation. But amid all of this, our commander-in-chief made sure to use his first State of the Union to promote the cause of transgenderism, even for our youngest Americans. The onslaught of state laws targeting transgender Americans and their families, it's simply wrong. And I've said last year, especially to our younger transgender Americans, I'll always have your back as your president so you can be yourself and reach your God-given potential. Well, is what the president is doing actually helpful to transgender Americans, or is it not? Our own Dr. Jennifer Bowens, director of our Center for Family Studies, joins me now to discuss this critical question. Dr. Bowens, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hey, Joseph. It's good to be back with you. It's good to see you. Much of this White House response this week, and it has been significant, not just the White House, but the vice president's office, uh, Health and Human Services has gotten in on this, on condemning the state of Texas, because their governor and attorney general have said that chemical and physical castration for minors who experience gender dysphoria could be investigated as child abuse. What's your take on all this? Well, it's good to see states standing up for um, children and um, that really have the, the back of children's. Um, you know, the president says that he has their back and that that's uh, contrary to um, what we know from the science. And and to stand there and say that he has their back is uh, is dangerous because the fact of the matter is the science behind this issue just simply isn't there. Um, so he's encouraging and actually using his office to legitimize um, practices that are in the end going to hurt children and uh, cause them further problems down the road. Dr. Bounds, elaborate a bit on that. What are the risks from these hormones and also from the surgeries that minors and adults as well, but in this case, we're talking about minors, would undergo as a way to essentially treat a psychological problem. Yeah. 
Well, um, there are a number of physiological issues that come with when you're on hormones or when you have surgeries done to your body to healthy organs that don't need to be removed. Um, but those things are a little bit more obvious when you look at someone. I mean, you can tell that their voice has changed, or you can tell that something's not quite right in their in their physique. Um, but there are also hidden um, things like blood clots and cardiovascular issues. Those things um, may not be as readily um, evident on the surface. But then we have to look at the psychological consequences of these um, issues. Um, this is less talked about in, when people are discussing this issue, and that is what, what is the long-term consequence of actually rejecting your body, rejecting your biological identity? Um, we know that when people are depressed or they're having maybe some stress in their life, that their body can respond. We see cortisol levels elevated, and that's going to make someone more susceptible to disease. Now, what happens when someone says, I don't want anything to do with my identity, um, who I've been designed by God to be? Um, there are no studies that look at that, but we do have some evidence when someone is dissociated that um, it's going to affect their body. So there are all kinds of consequences that the president did not address in the speech that he gave, other than just saying, you know, hey, rah, I have, rah, 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 I have your backs. Um, but... We know that there are so many other consequences um, than just giving, uh, this will make you feel better, and, um, and, and making people feel comfortable with, with the current dogma that's out there. I think we would all say that we have their backs. We're just trying to help them, and we have different strategies as to, as to what is actually helpful. Why do you think we hear so much encouragement for young people to to undergo these ultimately permanent treatments and so much minimization of the potential risks? Well, I think you have um, a lot of lobbying groups that are promoting these types of treatment. And then on the other hand, you don't have groups like um, or departments like NIH saying, hey, you know, we have um, some grant offerings for you to study the harms of, of um, gender transitions um, procedures. You have um, quite the opposite. The money is going towards um, building more gender clinics. It's going towards funding studies to look at why this is a good thing and to actually suppress the evidence that shows that we have, um, in fact, the online presence of those who are detransitioning and saying that the root issues uh, the root mental health issues aren't actually being dealt with. So, um, you know, you have a whole system that's surrounding and embracing this ideology. Yeah. And it's only now that we're starting to see the the um, cracks in the dam and people who are are have been affected by these things over the long term to, to start coming out and speaking out and saying, please don't do this to the next generation of children. As the saying goes, I tried to follow the science, but it led me straight to the money. Now, Dr. Bowens, what would you say to parents, family members who might be going through this, who are hearing all this pressure, your only options are suicide or transition? Yeah, and, and there's enormous pressure on parents who might be dealing with this or have a child who's dealing with this. Um, and my encouragement would be 
First of all, don't listen to the line that says uh, that this is a life-saving practice because it's anything but that. In fact, um, some of the research that's coming out right now is, and, and from the own, um, their own transgender advocacy groups, show that, that those who are offered these treatments are experiencing suicidal ideation at the same level. So my, my encouragement would be to look for root causes. Where did this come from? Um, don't just buy the transgender line and, and go for that line of treatment because it's not going to help the situation. It's only going to make things worse in the long term. Dr. Jennifer Bowens, and that is one of our biggest concerns is if we treat the wrong symptom, we never get the chance to treat the real problem, the real root of the cause. And we appreciate you illuminating us all in your vigilance on this effort. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Coming up, we're going to get an update from the road, from the Freedom Convoy on its way to the Capitol. We'll talk about it when we come back. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets, and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm. So glad that you are with us this afternoon as we take you into your weekend. Since last Wednesday, February 23rd, the trucker-led People's Convoy has been making its way peacefully to the D.C. metropolitan area, growing to nearly 5,000 vehicles, as was reported yesterday on the program. Each day since then, we have been covering the procession in our special Defending Freedom Convoy segment and highlighting the movement against government mandates and overreach. 
I encourage you to check out some of those other interviews at TonyPerkins.com. Well, for today's segment, we have with us Claire Dooley, a reporter at CHD-TV, who's been with the convoy from day one and reporting on its movements. Claire, welcome to Washington Watch. Hi, welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, we are glad to have you. The convoy has been moving for more than a week now. What's the mood as you approach the Capitol? Yeah, so right now we're landing in Hagerstown, Maryland, and the mood among everyone is is full of of love and uh, a community. So all of us have been traveling on the road now for 11 days, and along the way we've picked up people, different people's cars have broken down and they're riding with truckers. Um, we see this beautiful diversity within this group of, of giving supplies, water, food, donating money. Uh, the, the love is, is overwhelming, and, and everyone here is excited in anticipation for, for what comes next. Claire, how would you describe what unites this particular community as people are driving across the country together? What is the bond that people have together? So a lot of people are calling this a trucker's movement, and, and it definitely is. a trucker. The trucker started this, but this is the people's convoy. It's, it's literally called the people's convoy. And so within this convoy, there are vans, minivans, trucks, uh, cars, RVs like ours, campers pulling, or uh, trucks pulling campers and truckers. There's families, uh, there's people of all different colors, all different sexual orientations. You have it's such a diverse group. And, and honestly, from the left and the right side politically. And so what, what we're seeing is people are fed up of the government not listening to them. They feel like they're not heard. And so they're standing up for freedom. Freedom is, is the one thing that they all have in common. And, and they respect each other. It doesn't matter what the other person believes as long as they believe and the other person's right to believe that. It's about freedom of choice. Freedom of choice of what, what you can put in your body sovereignty of yourself, of the individual, and and keeping the government out of our personal lives. We're talking to Claire Dooley, a reporter at CHD-TV. And Claire, the convoy started on February 23rd. A lot has changed since February 23rd. A lot has changed with COVID. Many states, many jurisdictions have actually dropped their restrictions since the convoy uh, began. In addition, a war has started, which has grabbed the nation's attentions. Has Have the concerns of the convoy changed in, in, in any way since the convoy began? A lot of rumors are going around that, that this convoy believes that they single-handedly are lifting these restrictions. And, and that's, not, that's not true. This, this convoy does not exist just, just for specifically mask mandates and just for specifically the vaccine issue. This convoy, there are three things that this convoy wants. The first one is accountability, and they've wanted this since the beginning. They want to hold people accountable, institutions, the government, private corporations, who have violated and discriminated the American people, who have destroyed our economy and our health and wellness. And so they, they want these people to be held accountable. And the second thing is they want to uphold our constitutional rights. They, these people are focusing on this one point of, of constitutional liberties and constitutional rights. We need to stick to the Constitution, and, and that's what they want. They want their voices to be heard. And, and the last part of that is ending emergency orders. 
it's not just about, like I said, um, vaccine mandates and, and mask mandates. This is much more than this. This has been going on in the United States for, for a long time. And a lot of people here will say that it's not just about this one issue. We have seen our rights being encroached on for, for the past 20, 30 years. And, and it's time to put a stop to this. And so the American people are finally standing up and, and making sure that their voices are heard loud and clear. Claire, yesterday we heard from the convoy there were about 5,000 vehicles involved. Is that still the number? Has it grown in any way? Yeah, it's growing every single day. So yesterday I had the, the privilege of going up in the Cessna 172 with two pilots from the Freedom Flyers, which is an organization that's standing up against mandates, vaccine mandates in the, the large commercial airline industry. And uh, we, we flew over the entire convoy and it was about 70 miles long, so anywhere from 70 to 80 miles long. And so every single day it grows. I remember when we started in Adelanto, the numbers weren't as, as big, but we started, I think, with around 300 trucks. And now we're seeing just more and more people pouring in every day. And not to mention, I remember when we, when we first started in Adelanto, we saw a few overpasses with a few people. And it was so exciting to see people supporting the people's convoy from the side of the road with their flags music and, and their patriotism and now we're seeing hundreds of people on the bridges the entire way we were talking yesterday and, and I, I believe we didn't see a, a single bridge that was empty there was always one or two people anywhere from one to two people yeah. on a bridge to 300 400 so clever dooley Unfortunately, we are out of time now, but we really appreciate your time. The pictures from the air are impressive, and we appreciate your on-the-ground report as well. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Coming up after the break, some interesting election results in Texas that may signal significant things for local elections around the country. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. 
to access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted. Go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Attention university students. Are you looking for an internship that will help you grow as a Christian leader and allow you to positively influence the culture? Then Family Research Council's internship program is for you. FRC's life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program will prepare and equip you for the next step in your professional journey. You'll enjoy a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training. All of these offerings were created to aid you in your personal and professional development. As an intern, you will have the opportunity to work side-by-side with our experts in policy, communications, event planning, and more. The real-world experience you gain will prepare you to pursue a career of influence and make a difference wherever God calls you. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Washington Watch, my name is Joseph, back home sitting in Tacoma today. The governor's race in Virginia showed us last November that involved parents can determine the outcome of elections as concerns about their children's education drives them to the polls more than other issues. We saw this again in Texas this week when the state board of education races that had previously been overlooked as down-ballot formalities took on a renewed importance. In campaign after campaign, conservative parents in their first run for office, unseated, unreliable GOP incumbents who had bent under pressure from leftist activists. The result is that Republicans now look to increase their nine to six seat lead on the board when the general elections are held this November. Will this movement of unsatisfied parents stepping up to make a change continue to build momentum in other states? Joining me now to discuss this and more is Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies here at Family Research Council. Meg, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Joseph. It's great to see you. It's great to see you. I described it a little bit, but how would you describe what we saw in Texas this week? It is a dream come true for a lot of us who've been working in education for a number of years. Um, The educational system does need parental supervision, and parents getting elected to these positions is really important because they will keep their children's uh, benefit in mind, and everyone else's children too. Um, We see so often in in the educational system, it is so dominated by one kind of thinking, which is a progressive kind of thinking. And so when we elect uh, people to the school board who maybe do have uh, an R by their name, so often they are co-opted by the system that they find themselves in, and they become unable to hold the line and to say no time after time after time when education officials try to push the latest and, and uh, most extreme policies uh, on the school system. And that really is so often um, the role of conservatives on these boards is to say, no, we're not going to do that. And, it, and that is difficult 
So to have some new blood uh, running for those offices and some new energy being brought to the system is really, really wonderful development, and it will be to the benefit of everyone to have these people elected. A lot of us agree with you on that issue. Now, the conventional political wisdom for a long time has been avoid the social issues, stick to the the economic issues, the business issues. That's how you win campaigns. We saw what happened in Virginia. We see what's happening in Texas, school boards around the country. Do you think that it's true that social issues, that cultural issues are really now the political winners for conservatives? I do. I mean, of course, we've probably thought that for a long time, but no, it's becoming clearer and clearer. There's no denying that there's a culture war that's being waged against traditional values. And even if you don't want to fight that fight, it is coming for you. And so we really must, we must engage in this space. Um, there are just things that are true about the, the dignity of the human person and who is male and who is female that are undeniable truths that really apply to, that, that are embraced by people on the left and the right side of the aisle. And so this is why you're seeing more energy around these issues. And it's, it's, it's a, a welcome development. Um, we cannot allow these things to happen in, in, the, um, you know, in the side meetings of the school board or off the voting agenda uh, that get thrown onto the cassette portion of the agenda of school board meetings and not openly debated. You know, we can't allow these things to happen uh, behind closed doors. Um, because people are often surprised at how how extreme the situation is. Uh, but th these things have been discussed behind closed doors instead of in the in the open air of, of public debate. So having our side represented there and having people who share our worldview there will make it possible to have a more thorough examination of these issues and truly come to some kind of consensus on these matters. And that is tremendously important. One of the other trends that I think we're seeing is these races that were local, they were school board, they were obscure. In some cases, you're getting dozens of people to vote rather than millions of people to vote. Do you think it's a good thing that so much more attention is now being given to these really hyper-local races? I do. They are the ones that are, affect your life most directly. And so the the the... We all know that turnout for national elections, like president, is higher than turnout in statewide elections, like for your United States senator or for a governor. And it gets even lower when it comes to offices like school board or county commissioner. But, you know, it's the school board that's going to be in charge of the education for your community. And I, I always like to say, you know, Global citizens aren't bringing me a casserole when we have a crisis in our family. My neighbors are doing that. And so we want to educate children that are going to be a part of a community and understand that family and local involvement really is the best side of life. So we need to preserve those spaces and we need to make sure that our views are reflected in those spaces and that we don't allow ourselves to be absent from those discussions. Now, Meg, you don't just talk about these issues. You've been busy doing something about them as well. You've been helping lead our FRC school board boot camps around the country. Tell us what you're trying to accomplish. Tell us how those are going. 
They're going so beautifully. Uh, we have so many wonderful people who are really ready to step into the fray and run for office. So we have our school board boot camps, and you can find out about those at frcaction.org schools. And you can see our online boot camp training there for candidates. And then last weekend, we had the first ever um, alternative school board training for conservatives in Virginia. And we're hoping to take this across all the states, but it was really wonderful to provide conservative school board members with a place where they could gather and talk about ideas and get information that was not, um, you know, of a partisan nature. They, they were able to connect with each other and to ask questions of experts. And this is the kind of support we have to provide for people like those candidates in Texas who've just run this, won their primary and now they're going to be on the ballot. If they're elected to the state school board, they're going to need help and resources so that they can maintain their values and they can defend our principles. And so we're trying to set up the, uh, with the Noah Webster Education Foundation uh, a conservative alternative to the school board association. So we're doing lots of great things. They're all on our FRC Action website at frcaction.org slash schools. And we would love for you to be involved. Well, we do want people to be involved. And Meg Kilgannon and I will just say that when you think about alternative school board trainings, you don't obviously think about conservatives, but it is a brand new world that we're living in where the conservatives are the alternative and increasingly becoming an appealing alternative, clearly, to the voters. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Joseph. Well, it is that time of the week again. It is the last segment of the week here on Washington Watch, which is my favorite segment. Perhaps they're all great, but this is a really good one. The Worldview Friday segment, where we focus on the issues of the day from a worldview perspective. Today's conversation is inspired by two articles that my colleague David Clausen wrote on the topic of abortion and how Congress is dealing with it and also talking about it. You can find those articles at frcblog.com, but we're also going to talk to the author right now, FRC's director of the Center for Biblical Worldview, David Clausen. David, welcome back. Hey, great to be with you. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you. Now, Monday was a was a strange day in Capitol Hill because, and this is what she wrote about, Senate Democrats tried to pass legislation. They did not succeed, but they tried to pass legislation that would have enshrined Roe versus Wade into federal law. What was your reaction to that? Yeah, it's really stunning, especially, Joseph, when you consider the context. What was happening Monday night? You know, the eyes of the world are focused on what's happening in Ukraine and this Russian invasion uh, so much to think about related to all of that. And yet what was happening uh, just down the road from where I am right now is that Chuck Schumer forced a vote on the Women's Protection uh, Health Act, which we really should call the on-demand on -demand abortion bill up until birth. Uh, that bill failed uh, 46 to 48. Uh, this is a bill that the House Democrats had previously passed a couple of months ago. Uh, but thankfully, it failed 46 to 48. Uh, but this bill would have uh, overturned uh, almost every state law on the books uh, that would have protected life. And so praise God that this did not go forward. But it really underscores uh, where the worldview is of Senate Democrats. 
Now, it, it, it's true. It does underscore their worldview. Now, we can be grateful that it did not pass. Do you think it was brought up by the Democrats because they believe the Supreme Court is about to overturn Roe versus Wade? I do. I think Chuck Schumer is hearing uh, from the far left, uh, Planned Parenthood, NARAL. I think a vote uh, that the vote that they took was to placate those uh, abortion lobbyists uh, to show, hey, look, we're trying to do something for you. It, it's curious to me, though, the politics. Uh, what Chuck Schumer did is he forced uh, 94 U.S. senators to go on record on the most extreme abortion bill that's ever been considered by the U.S. Congress. Some of these uh, senators are in real tough reelection races, and yet now they are on record either for or against this bill. And I think this is something voters will absolutely remember uh, come November. From a worldview perspective, what should we think about prioritizing the issue of abortion in the midst of an international and national crisis of, of many kinds, frankly. Yeah, it, I think it shows, Joseph, re regrettably, that a, abortion has almost become a sacrament of the far left. Uh, abortion really animates uh, their worldview. And again, let's be clear, you know, abortion, this is the, the, the murdering of innocent children in the womb. And yet, uh, if you follow the money, you know, Planned Parenthood, NARAL, other groups, are donating big time to uh, Democrats uh, in the Senate and in the House. And it just shows uh, that this view, uh, this dehumanizing of the human person, uh, this lack of understanding that all, all people, born and unborn, are made in God's image. You know, the Democrat Party used to be the uh, party of safe, legal, rare. That's unfortunately a bygone error. And so, again, from a worldview perspective, we need to realize that increasingly, uh, there are a lot of politicians in this city that don't value human life, and we need to work uh, to re-instill uh, uh, in people around this country, but especially uh, people in our congregations, uh, that God views life as uh, a gift, uh, that we're made in his image, and that there's value in every single human being. Now, David, you <clears throat> took particular exception to the vote and the comments <laughs> after the vote of one specific U.S. Senator. Tell us about that. Yeah, so the Senator Reverend Raphael Warnock from Georgia, he actually was one of six senators who did not attend. I, I called his office and asked them why he wasn't there. Uh, they, they said there was no official reason. Uh, but regardless of him voting or not for the bill, he is a co-sponsor of the bill. And right before the bill, put out a tweet uh, that said, as a pro-choice pastor, uh, and then he went on to uh, explain his support for uh, the bill. Uh, you know, he said essentially as a pro-choice pastor, he is pro-abortion. And I, I, yes, you can read my piece at frc.org slash worldview. Uh, but I definitely take exception to the fact that as a, as a pastor, you know, I, I read through the New Testament. I see the qualifications that Paul gives. You can read it in First Timothy. You can read it in Titus. Uh, the, one of the qualifications, Joseph, to be an elder, to be a pastor, is that you are able to teach sound doctrine and contradict those uh, who uh, are teaching out of line with God's truth. And the, the Bible is clear on the issue of abortion. It's clear on the dignity of the personhood of the unborn. And for someone to, and he goes by Senator Reverend, that's the title he likes to go yeah. by. Uh, it's, he's, I believe, uh, really disqualifying himself in a New Testament sense for being a pastor. And I find that really, really problematic and, and dangerous. David, I think you may have answered the question, but I promised at the beginning of the show that I was going to ask you the question. Why do you think that the term, the phrase, 
a pro-choice pastor is, as you described it, an oxymoron. It's an oxymoron because the pastor is, the tremendous responsibility of the pastor is to be an under-shepherd of the church, to watch over the souls of the people that are entrusted to him by God, uh, to lead them in the right way, and by going off about being a pro-choice pastor and leading people to think that God sanctions or is okay with abortion, that's misleading God's people. And that, again, is, in my view, disqualifying. Are you saying that you can't be a Christian and be pro-choice? I think there's some people, Joseph, who might not understand the issue. They might not study the issue. But I think if anyone dives into the scriptures, if they dive into what the Bible teaches, I think the Bible is very, very clear that this isn't ultimately a political issue or, you know, some other kind of issue. This is a moral issue. This is a biblical issue. And I think scripture, if you're reading it the way you're supposed to be reading it, it leads you to one conclusion, which is that all people born and unborn are made in God's image and have value. I know there are a lot of people who would hear you say if you read scripture the way you're supposed to be reading it with very judgmental eyes and they would and they would hear that and be highly offended. And I think from a worldview perspective, we can put a bow on this. The the goal of this, because we understand that that people of goodwill and good intentions disagree on theological matters in some cases. But from a worldview perspective, the thing that Christians do not have the choice on things that are not negotiable is that it is our job to surrender our will to scripture it is not our job to surrender scripture to our will and when we do that uh, when we sincerely do that we're seeking god's will above all else i think we'll find that we reach agreement in ways where maybe we weren't before but david we're out of time thanks so much for being with us as always thank you joseph And thank you, friends, for joining us. Thank you for being with us all week. Please continue to pray for our country, for Raphael Warnock, for Ukraine, for the church. And remember, above all, fear God, nothing else. We'll see you next time. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.